the title of the sermon today is Challenged, and the scripture is this passage from Luke chapter 3, uh, 13, uh, 19 through 21, and then 31 through 35. Uh, several weeks ago, somebody sent me a video from the University of Alabama head football coach, Nick Saban. And I'd like to share that video with you this morning, except that, uh, believe it or not, Nick Saban gets a little salty every once in a while with his words. And that was certainly true of the video that somebody sent me a few weeks ago. But even though his language was a little more colorful than might be appropriate uh, for uh, being in church, although somebody just suggested picking your nose, so I guess I could have showed the video. Um, even though his language was a little salty, I really thought the message was right on. It was something that all of us need to hear. He was speaking to a group of high school coaches in Alabama, and he was talking about it is always the right time to do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is a challenging thing. Now, he didn't mention anyone by name, but it's pretty clear if you watch the video that I watched that he was talking about Henry Ruggs III. That may, name may or may not mean anything to you. He played his college career at the University of Alabama under Nick Saban, went on to play in the NFL and last November was involved in a horrific car accident that resulted in the death of a 23-year-old woman and her dog. And um, Henry Ruggs III was charged with DUI that resulted in death and three other felonies and potentially will spend the next 50 years of his life in jail. And Nick Saban was making the point by saying um, the right thing in that right moment would have been for the friends that he was out with all night long until 3 o'clock in the morning when it came time for them to go home would have been to take Henry Ruggs' car keys from him, to not let him get behind the wheel of an automobile. And they could have spared him a lot of heartache and heartbreak and a, a, another family's heartache and heartbreak. Now, the right thing in that right moment would have also been the challenging thing, wouldn't it? Because there's a good chance that he wouldn't have appreciated somebody trying to take his car keys away from him. He wouldn't have appreciated being told that you need to leave your car here in Uber home. He wouldn't have appreciated people trying to tell him what he needed to do. He would have been ticked off. You would have not been his favorite person in that moment. It would have been challenging to say the difficult thing in that moment. And yet, wouldn't that have been better than what ended up happening? Henry Ruggs got into the car and was said to have been going 156 miles an hour in a residential neighborhood when he plowed into the back of a Toyota RAV4 and he killed that 23-year-old girl and also her dog. Uh, he will likely spend 
the next 50 years of his life, which may indeed be his entire life in jail. And Nick Saban's point was is that it's always the right time to do the right thing. Sometimes the right thing is a challenging thing. And then Nick Saban pointed out that how often you and I refuse to do the right thing in the right moment because it's so challenging. We're worried about what people think. We're worried about people might say. We're worried about what people might do if we do the challenging thing. Our scripture lesson this morning is about challenge. Now, at first glance, it appears as if the challenge is actually coming from Jesus' family and that it's directed towards Jesus. And, And I will admit that there is that element of challenge in the Scripture, but I think the real challenge that exists in this passage of Scripture is not Jesus' family challenging Jesus. It's Jesus challenging his family. And there's a passage of scripture that we didn't even read this morning that's in between the verses that we did read today and and, and it's also about challenge and it's about Jesus challenging the teachers of the law. So if you take that story and Mark loves to sandwich one story in between another because it helps to interpret both stories. If you take that story that we didn't read this morning and you hear the story that was read this morning, it is clear that the challenge is coming from Jesus and that Jesus is issuing that challenge to his family. He's issuing that challenge to the teachers of the law And I would suggest to you that he's issuing that challenge to you and to me. So let's look at this text and kind of unpack what's going on here. It says that Jesus is back home. Now, it's probably not his actual home because if it was his actual home, then you'd think that his family would be in the home with him. And we're told that they're not there. They're like on the outside. They can't even get in. Uh, Some scholars say that it might be Simon and Andrew's home, that that's kind of the home away from home that Jesus has adopted uh, as he's doing his ministry. Um, And so Mark has already told us that Simon has been in that, that Jesus has been in that home because Jesus actually heals Simon's mother-in-law earlier in the gospel. Or maybe it's just that Mark wants us to know that Jesus is back in his hometown. He's not actually in his home. Maybe he's just in the neighborhood. And so his family has found out that he's in the neighborhood. And so they eventually come and see him. And that's what Mark says happens. That his family tries to go and to get a word with him. Uh, But Jesus is in this house and it's full of people. There's so many people in the house, Mark says, that Jesus and the disciples can't even eat. I imagine that Jesus is just sitting down to his favorite meal of country fried steak, pinto beans, turnip greens, mashed potatoes with sawmill gravy on top, and a side order of cornbread. Okay, so maybe Jesus and I are alike in some ways, but we're probably not alike in our favorite meal. I'm guessing Jesus was sitting down enjoying some hummus, maybe some St. Peter's fish, maybe some falafel, just sitting there, and all of a sudden, every time he tries to take a bite of food, someone interrupts him by asking a question, 
And Jesus politely puts his food down and he begins to respond to all of those questions. Jesus can't even eat because of the crowds that are there. And his family shows up and they're not there in the that's my son kind of way. Uh, they're not there saying, you, you see that great preacher over there or, or the great miracle worker? That's my brother. Uh, they're there in the kind of, have you lost your ever-loving mind, Jesus, kind of way. They're there in the, why would you leave a flourishing carpentry business in Nazareth to become a traveling preacher, an itinerating pastor? What are you, Methodist? kind of way they're there in the why in the world are you hanging out with tax collectors and fishermen and prostitutes and all sorts of other outcasts kind of way they're there in the don't you realize that this will get you on Jerry Springer and Dr. Phil kind of way they're there in the kind of way that says, hey, Jesus, I think maybe you just need to come home. <laughs> we'll fix you a nice meal, your favorite. You can go take a nap in the bed that you and your father made when you were in the carpentry business together, and you can get well. That's the kind of way that they're there. But they can't even get an audience with Jesus. It says that when they show up, that they have to send word from the outside to Jesus who's on the inside. And it's at this point that it's worth noting that one of the literary devices that the gospel writer Mark loves to use, in addition to the sandwiching thing where he puts one story in the midst of another story so that they help interpret each other, Mark also likes to do this whole insiders versus outsiders thing. And if you're reading Mark with a critical eye, you begin to see that the folks that are on, you think are going to be on the inside, they always end up on the outside. And the people who are, you think are always going to be on the outside, they always end up on the inside. And so if you're reading this story today, and in fact the sandwich story in the middle, you might think that the people who are on the inside would naturally be Jesus' family and all of the teachers of the law. And that the people on the outside would be all the outcasts, all the misfits, all the people who've lived their entire lives on the margins. And yet Mark has shown us that the people you think are on the inside, the teachers of the law and his family, they're actually on the outside. And the people that you would think would be on the outside are actually on the inside. Now, if you didn't know that Mark liked to do that whole inside-outside thing, you would think that when Jesus' family is on the outside and they send word in to Jesus on the inside, that he would say, oh, by all means, send my family in. Or, or, or you would think that maybe Jesus would just get up and say, I'm sorry, everybody, but my mama and my siblings are here, and I want to go spend some time with them. And so he'd go outside. That's what you'd think would happen. You might even think that when he went outside, he would say to his mother and his siblings, Hey, remember, I'm the Son of God. 
I'm going to be okay. But that's not what happened. Instead, Jesus says, who are my brothers and my mother? And then Jesus looks around at all of that riffraff that was in the room with him, the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors, the fishermen, and he says, these are my mother and brothers. Can you think of how challenging that would have been if you're a part of Jesus' family and you've asked him to come out to see you and he says, these are my family. You see, in Jesus' day, even more so than our own day, one's identity was all wrapped up in the family. Family was the basis for the social and economic structure of the day. And so to, to say these are my family instead of acknowledging his family that was on the outside would have been shocking. It would have been challenging to everyone who would have heard it. But Jesus wasn't trying to be disrespectful or mean. Jesus was issuing a challenge that the people who think that they are the closest by virtue of their uh, blood relative or by virtue of being learned teachers of the law, those things alone don't really define true kinship and true community. And so if you're tempted to think that because you know more Scripture than anybody else, or because you have blood uh, kin, your blood kin to somebody, that that gives you a better place, an inside scoop on Jesus and his life and his ministry, then you are mistaken. He was challenging the teachers of the law and his family to redefine their idea of kinship and community. It's more than just being blood kin, or it's more than just learning something. Can you imagine as challenging as it was to the law, the people of the law and the family, how good it was to feel if you were in that room? For your whole life, you've been treated as a misfit and an outcast and a second-class citizen your whole life you've been looked down on, ostracized, marginalized, and all of a sudden you've learned that despite what everybody else has said about you, despite what everybody else has done to you, despite what everybody else thinks about you, you are a part of the family of God. It doesn't matter where you've come from, the one thing that matters is, are you willing to do the will of God? Lent is a season of challenge. And I wonder, in what way might God be saying to us today that it is the right time to do the right thing and it just might be a challenging I wonder if the question for us today is, are we up to 
that challenge.